0: Coming up on this week's episode of TechSnap, malware that lives in your browser, GitHub Enterprises SQL Square, Dan's mail server war story, a righteous roundup, your feedback, and so much more on this week's episode of TechSnap. Welcome to TechSnap, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly systems, network, and administration podcast. This is episode 302 and was live-streamed on January 10th, 2017. Uh, this, this program is brought to you by our three very fine sponsors, Ting, DigitalOcean, and iX Systems. Uh, with me today is our wonderful host, the organizer, the explainer, and the admin, Dan. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hello, Wes. It's ah, wonderful Deborah. to see you again. I mean, it hasn't been very long, but uh, no. uh, what a pleasure.
1: Well, four hours or so?
0: Yeah, I think so. How was the rest uh, of your day?
1: It was pretty good. Excellent. Uh, did various things, uh, all of which I can't talk about, but it was fun.
0: (laughs) That sounds like the most fun. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, Today on our first story, we're talking about malware hosted in the browser. What does that mean, Dan?
1: Well, last show we talked about malware, blocking it via URLs, and malware, which boosts the domain names, thereby bypassing many URL-based filters, but... In this show, we have an instance of malware which completely defeats all of the above in a very clever and simple way. A common way to steal credentials is to host a web page, which looks a lot like the real thing. You know, Google, Facebook, PayPal, they're all targets of this. It's very simple to do. You just throw up a web page and start directing people at it and collect the information that comes in. There are lots of ways to defend this with conventional tools. But this method bypasses all those tools. Uh, Tom Scott tweeted about malware he received via email. And when you click on the link, you get what what appears to be a Google login page. But the interesting thing about this is the URI is of the form data colon colon text.
0: Oh, I don't think I've heard of that one before. Interesting.
1: It, It is valid and I... I don't think I've ever used it, but I've seen it. And then it puts some information in there that looks like a URL, a whole bunch of spaces, and then way off at the, at the right-hand side, they show a source for JavaScript. And it's that JavaScript that pulls in the web page, which isn't really a web page, it's all just in, in, your, uh, in your browser.
0: So by clicking now, this link, suddenly you've started to execute JavaScript that was just pulled in right from the URL.
1: Right. And that's displaying the web page. And that's what you log into. And it'll send your credentials away to someone. Um, now, I thought this was brand new, but it turns out that it's actually fairly common. has been used often to fish Google or PayPal. Uh, and it's been around since at least a year um, matt hughes reported that android actually tries wow. to autofill his google account credentials when he goes to that uri
0: so, oh wow okay
1: interesting it's, it's fooling password managers and stuff like that um uh, it's been around at least a year and it was written by uh, a researcher named link cabin and there's a url for that in the show notes um And it's not new, it's just very unusual, and I also think it's very clever. And try to explain to technical novices that, no, you don't log in here, and this is why. Um, Yeah, that's a big conversation
0: that, like, you have to have a kind of understanding of the technical architecture of the system you're using, which uh, most people are using it because they don't have those things.
1: I I don't know how to educate people about that. You just have to be really, really careful when you're entering in credentials. Fortunately, most people that are susceptible to this won't be using a. uh, Sorry, most people that will be using this that that'll be fished by this aren't using a password manager, so their passwords probably aren't very complex anyway. But really, getting fished doesn't have the negative stigma it used to do. It is just so very, very good at, at the moment, and I'm not surprised that some highly notable people wind up getting fished by it. Um, I don't know if I've been fished by it. Maybe I have. Maybe I've not. But this is pretty good, right? It's yeah. something.
0: I mean, even as a technical user, I might, I might not actually notice that, especially with all the spaces there in the URL and the other tricks that they're using.
1: the The trick to it is to look very carefully at, at the expanded, um, if you right click in the image, say copy address, and then copy and paste that into your browser, you can actually see uh, a great deal of detail on the URI. And you can actually see where, how they're doing this. And it makes much more sense when you look at the the large uh, image and scroll left and right and see how they're doing it. Um, I don't know how they're going to avoid this one.
0: Yeah, no, I don't know. I I don't either. It may be something where you you know, we have more heuristics built into browsers that can warn you about these things where the expansion is very different than than the the render text, but even then it seems like a tricky thing to get
1: right. You just have to look up there, look for the HTTPS, make sure it's the right domain, and just be careful. Don't when you're suddenly presented with a login page, don't just enter in your credentials. Stop, think about it, look at what's gone on. And then proceed, especially if it's your important accounts, like Google, like um, PayPal, anything like that where it's very sensitive contents. Y- you want to go very slowly.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, you should be trusted, and it's really easy to just kind of click around on the web. Uh, you know, you suddenly clicked a bunch of things, or someone sent you something. But especially if it comes from somewhere that you don't trust, or it's an unusual it, link, yeah. Just yeah. Uh, spend a few minutes and. Uh, be sure of your safety.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, In, th- indeed.
0: Uh, well, thank you very much for that explanation, Dan. Uh, before we move on to our next story, let's talk about our first sponsor today, which is IX Systems. IX Systems build beautiful servers, just just the the most bespoke server that you can imagine for your perfect needs. They use incredible Intel processors. If you if you take your work seriously, if you don't want to, you know, I've had so many so many friends that they've built themselves a nice big ZFS array. They've been tinkering with it, which is a great thing to do. I encourage you to do that. But if you're ready to have an appliance, if you're ready to have have a server that's configured professionally, you don't want to mess with, oh, well, I encrypted my disk and I've lost my encrypted, I've, I've lost my key or, you know, I set up the array, but I did it wrong and I used a stripe and I really wanted redundancy and now I've lost half my data. If these are not situations that you want to get in, go check out ixsystems.com. Tell them that you've li- you found them from us by going to ixsystems.com slash techsnap. They're always doing cool stuff. Over here on their blog, uh, they've got a rundown. The top 10 articles in 2016 gives you a nice flavor of all the neat things that iX is doing. Uh, you know, a bunch of stuff about FreeNAS. FreeNAS is a wonderful platform. It's perfect if you need a NAS for home, you need a NAS for your small office. And they've also packed in a ton of stuff. You know, you can have this one server running in your house. You can do, every- you know, it can do pretty much everything. You can run your own... It can run DNS mask. It can run a VPN client for you. Plus, it can securely, efficiently manage your storage. They're very involved in the OpenZFS project. They work upstream with the community. They work on, well, what's now called TrueOS. So they're truly a company that cares about the open source community. Their business model is based on open source. Check them out today, ixsystems.com slash techsnap. All right, Dan. So we've got our next story up here. It looks like there is a SQL injection attack on GitHub Enterprise.
1: Yes, there is, uh, and it's been fixed. Uh, it's been fixed after the author of this blog post uh, did the responsible thing. They did the research, they did it in a safe way, and then they told GitHub about it, and they took the bug bounty. We'll, we'll get to that at the end. Um, so, the story involves responsible research and disclosure by Orange C. Uh Sorry, wait, Ty? Yeah, we've got his name. I'm pronouncing it wrong. Sorry. GitHub Enterprise is the on-premises version of GitHub.com, where you can deploy a whole GitHub GitHub service in your private network for business. You I've used get it a at 40- work
0: before. Yeah, it's a, it's like a full GitHub stack that you can integrate with yep. It does OAuth that does everything.
1: I've seen I've seen this in commercial settings. Um, you can get a 45-day free trial, and you can download the VM from EnterpriseGitHub.com. So. This guy decided to have a look and downloaded it, configured it, and observations began. Um, it was first noticed notice that GitHub is using a custom library to obfuscate their code. So if you search for rubyconcealer.so on Google, you'll find a, a snippet and a gist. And in there, it shows you how to de obfuscate the code. So the first two days are getting the VM running. Days three to five are learning uh, Rails by code reviewing because GitHub Enterprise is written with Ruby on Rails. That's right. And on day six, an SQL injection was found. Now, after the injection is found, they do some tests, they do a simple reproduction, uh, proof of concept to make sure that it works. And now we'll talk about the uh, timeline of the responsible disclosure. It was on January 26th that they reported the vulnerability to GitHub via HackerOne. They provide more vulnerability detail. GitHub validated that the issue existed. And GitHub responds that the fix will be included with the next release of GitHub. GitHub said, okay, thank you for this. Here's your $5,000 reward. $5,000. $5,000. That's not bad for Cisco. No, six that's days really not. That's very good. Um, he asked for permission to write a blog post. GitHub said sure, and we have it all right here. So if you're running GitHub Enterprise, uh, version 2.85 has the fix, and it was released two days ago, five days ago. It was released five days ago. So I'm sure everyone is patched by now.
0: Yeah, I would hope so. Um, it, it's nice to see GitHub doing the right thing and, you know, accepting these kinds of things, promoting the bug bounty program, jumping on it and releasing a fix as soon as they can. And, I mean, I imagine that, you know, it's it's less bad than if the public GitHub infrastructure had had something like this. But it's never good, especially, you know, there's a lot of places that depend on GitHub. That's where... You know, maybe you're you're trying to make signed commits there. That's where the source mm-hmm. of truth for the things that end up on your production servers are. It could be a big deal if a uh, you know someone can squirrel in there and mess with your production code.
1: And I think it's great the way that this researcher did it. Um, it was all above board. They did the right thing. They they weren't hacking into somebody else's GitHub Enterprise uh, installation. They downloaded their own, tested it there, and then
0: oh, really? On the get, up and up, got their yeah.
1: just rewards.
0: All right. Well, here on TechSnap, we always love it when uh, viewers write in, give us feedback, tell us how we're doing a bad job, a good job, or just uh, have something interesting to share with the audience. So today we've got a feedback item. It starts, hello, Chris, Alan and Chris. These are addressing the old house, but uh, we'll jump in here and I think we can answer we can We can read this just fine. If you'd like to continue and uh, show us this exciting feedback.
1: I will. I'm a senior architect manager at a Fortune 100 company that you've definitely heard of, but which I can't name. And earlier this year I was looking to add a couple of seasoned sysadmins to my team. One of my favorite interview questions is How do you stay current on industry news, patches, security, products, etc.? Because I've always found that one of the best indicators of technical passion, which almost always maps direct to creativity and success here. Usually I hear slash dot or ARS, which are decent answers, but not standouts. So I was floored when one guy said, A couple of podcasts like TechSnap, BSC Now, and the Linux Action Show from Jup. I actually cut him off there to save him the trouble of going into detail. And instead, we spent the next 15 minutes talking about our favorite episodes and the nearly unlimited tips we've picked up from you guys over the years. He was easily one of the most solid, qualified applicants I've seen in years. And yes, we made him a very solid offer. Unfortunately, right after that, his wife got a can't-refuse job offer overseas, and he declined the position and moved. I don't have a question. I just wanted to let you and your audience know the value of your shows from an unusual angle, angle. Jason. Thank you, Jason. That's very kind. Yeah, and thank you. Very, very interesting.
0: I know the people on this network put in a lot of hard work. They like to. It's it's good to hear that those efforts. You know, those those efforts are appreciated. Dan, in your life, and uh, your career, have you ever had a moment or you had a similar situation where you've interviewed candidates or been on an interview board where it's kind of similar qualities stuck out about them? Hmm.
1: I can't think of any, but I know that uh, I remember interviewing some people who said that they, they, they went to various conferences, they did mm-hmm. various things, and that's always often an indicator as well. When you're spending your own money to go to a conference, that's a big deal.
0: Yeah, exactly, and it kind of shows that you know you're aware of the community, you're participating in it. It's something that you yep. read in your spare time. Uh, mm-hmm. So, speaking of that, let's mention our next sponsor, which is uh, DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean uh, provides virtual virtual private servers, but not just your ordinary virtual private server. They have having all KVM virtualizers. They have SSDs, ten gigabit. Ethernet right into the hypervisor, 40 gigabit even now, DigitalOcean is great. They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. You know, if, you, if, there's, if you're looking for a way to kind of stand out in your next job interview, try DigitalOcean. It's a great place for $5 a month, $10 a month. They have hourly pricing if you don't need something for a full month. It's a great place to have a server. You can, you know, it's a, it's a nice sandbox server to try things out. Learn the software that you think you might be interviewed on. Plus, a lot of people in the industry know about DigitalOcean. It's what they use maybe at work. Maybe they use it for their private servers. It can get you a lot of credit. Additionally, DigitalOcean just has a wonderful community. They've really built, built a lot of the back of the company on this community. They have, they have real editors working to take community submissions, make them better, and then they're available publicly. You know, it's not just something you have to sign up and pay money to see their community documentation. DigitalOcean understands the value that open-source community provides. So if you value DigitalOcean use our promo code you'll get a $10 credit it's snapocean so go to digitalocean.com tell them tell them that Jupiter Broadcasting sent them snapocean they've got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto and Frankfurt that list gets longer every time i read it go to digitalocean today and check them out thank you to digitalocean for continuing providing hosting sponsorship and just about everything else to the Jupiter Broadcasting network so dan I hear you've got a war story here.
1: (laughs) I do. Before we get into that, I just want to say, I did help a friend get set up on DigitalOcean. Oh, really? Their their little instance is just running just fine. Bunch of email, bunch of um, uh, DoveCot, and they're going well. They like it. Oh, that's great to hear. I think they have the $20 server. I'm not sure. Anyway, the horror story. Like most sysadmins who play around with this stuff at home, I run my own mail servers. I have a couple of outgoing mail servers here at home. Um, they're named Cliff, and they sit here, and all the servers that need to send mail out to something, that mail goes out into the ether from, from Cliff. Oh, that's great. That's a good um, name, too. I like that. And my laptops and my cell phones uh, do something similar. But since they're mobile, they have to send... A th- Things that are out there on the internet, they they send to uh, a host named Claven. Now, um, Claven is the one that has has uh, had the problem. I decided to change the uh, certificate because the certificate was expiring, and I didn't want to continue to use Start uh, SSL. Because, I've had the same conclusion. Um, There've been some interesting things happen recently, so. I said, hey, I have my own CA here at home. Why don't I just generate a certificate from that and upload it there? I've been using that for years and it works just fine. And from a strictly security point of view, a private CA is more secure for non-public services than a public CA is.
0: Why do you say that?
1: The reason being... If the CA is compromised, uh, they can issue a certificate for you, for your domain, sure. whereas the only people that can issue a certificate uh, for my CA is me. So if I secure my CA, all the certificates are secure. Um, right. And, and,
0: and think, it kind of changes the threat model, too, like a, a, a passerby. Unless you're really being targeted, they're not yeah. going to attack your CA server, right? But they w- may want to do a public one.
1: Right, so I wind up having my own CA issue my own certificates, um, push them out to the Claven servers, and everything runs fine on my laptop. I do that on December thirty first. Uh, I go to send email on the fourth or the fifth from my cell phone, and it won't go. It just won't go. It says it can't uh, validate the. It can't. It can't validate the certificate of my server.
0: So problem and, signs already. Like ugh.
1: yeah. Yeah, it can't do it. Okay, well, the solution there is to take the uh, CA certificate, upload it to my cell phone, and say, you can trust this certificate. Uh, that works just fine, and it still won't allow me to send email out, even though it, it trusts the certificate, even though it trusts the CA. So someone said, no, 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 that's not how you do it. You have to put it in a profile and then push that profile. I to the
0: see. Phone. Interesting.
1: And I said, Yeah, I've done this before, let me do it again. Eventually, I find the new Apple Configurator tool, create a profile, push it (laughs) to my phone, still does not work. Uh, So you can go to the next image now. This this first image that you see here is actually what was on my phone to begin with. Then I added a configuration profile that had the, the right search in it, and it still wouldn't work. So, A couple of days later um, on Twitter, someone said, well, maybe there's something wrong with your certificate. So I had to look at my certificate. My certificate was an MD5 cert. This is very old. They've been deprecated.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: So what I had to do was go back to my certificate authority, which had been created maybe six or seven years ago. And I use all in house. It works just fine. And create a brand new certificate authority, issue a new cert with SHA 256 instead of MD5, push that to my phone in a profile, and bang, my outgoing email works magically. Oh, so very next, nice. Next photo. And this is what you're going for you want to have your certificate authority listed. Under certificate trust settings, uh, this is a uh, screenshot from an iPhone 7. Okay, someone nice. was asking asking if it was from Android or whatever, but th- this comes out of the out of the iPhone, and there is a tool you can download for free called the Apple Configurator. We'll have to Analog- add that to the docs. Yeah. and you just basically push that into your phone over a um, USB cable.
0: This is great because I know, you know, there's a lot of people out there, maybe you need an iPhone for some things or you prefer the security of that platform. So it's mm-hmm. nice to be able to have this kind of flexibility. You know, you can do things like this where you've got your own certificates in there. Maybe mm-hmm. you've configured your own VPN back to your own servers. Yeah.
1: And I'm sure I've added Cert and Start.com into previous phones like years ago. And it's just been carried on from one phone to the next.
0: Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So how long did it take you to get all of this resolved?
1: It was over a, a, a number of days because I, I abandoned it at one point, and I didn't discover it for about four or five days after, uh, because the laptops I could they would say, "Hey, listen, I don't trust this cert," and you could say, "No, no, 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 go ahead, you can trust this cert," and it would trust it, and we'd use it. But the the math, the um, iPhones would not. I imagine that the the security settings in in the phone is just slightly different. And it says, no, this is an old standard. I'm not going to trust it. So I would say it was about five or six hours of of playing around and trying to figure out what was going wrong. And then in one morning, sitting at Starbucks, reading uh, a tweet off my Twitter stream, I'll have to give credit to that person later. They just said, maybe there's something wrong with your cert. And that was it. Uh,
0: you hadn't thought to, to look into no, that area. It had worked perfectly no, in the past. No. I mean, it's in... Exactly. It's a good little like microcosm of how even if you're an experienced troubleshooter, sometimes those little things you just haven't really thought through the full chain, and especially I mean modern you know our modern systems are very complex, so there's a lot of moving pieces here. As you've discussed, that's uh that's very interesting. I'm glad that it's working again, and I will say I'm quite envious of your home um, mail server setup, and I may have to uh, replicate that in the coming episodes. It's about something maybe we should do a deep dive in on on one of the later shows.
1: Yep, it it's um. I've done it most mostly just for my own purposes because I'm running all my own incoming mail servers anyway oh, so I, see. Uh, I have the outgoing as well
0: all right Dan let's get to this uh, rockin roundup what's first on the list
1: well first on the list and full disclosure before I start this I'm going to talk about two conferences and I'm the founder of both of these conferences. That's um, awesome. Well, I think you BSD, have every right to talk about it then. Thank you very much. But I, I, I always, I always like to be upfront with it when there is a a possibility of perceived conflict of interest. BSD can, uh, BSD can is the BSD conference. If you have any interest in BSD, you want to go to BSD can in Ottawa. Uh, the call for papers is out now. It closes in nine days. Uh, just follow the URL and submit a paper. You don't have to get very complicated, and it's very straightforward. If you have any questions, you can tweet at me or ask around.
0: Uh, I know we've talked about it a little bit in in the past on this show, but is there a quick rundown of BSDCAN, things you like about it as a conference, uh, things that might stand out to users or viewers who aren't familiar?
1: Um, most BSD con- conferences Ha- are, are small in comparison to your traditional open source conferences. Um, you, you can go and talk to people who you've only ever heard about, you've only ever read about, you've never met in person, and there's basically the people that you've been looking up to, people you've been taking advice from. You can talk to them and ask some questions and just, just have a real conversation. Uh the conference is designed so that the hallway track is one of the most important parts of the conference. Oh, I love that. There's a half hour between all the talks. You've got plenty of time to get from one talk to the other. They're not very far away, but <laughs> you've got plenty of time to stop and have a conversation. Um, it's very social, uh, but you're not forced into the social sides if you don't want to be social. Uh, whatever your definition of social is, you can take care of it while you're at camp.
0: Oh, that's great. Well then, uh, everyone should consider uh, putting in call the papers, or at least uh, go check it out. You can say hi to Dan. I'll be there. All right. What's uh, there's another call for papers out. What's next?
1: Well, the other conference is PGCon. Uh, it's about three or four weeks before BSGCon, and it's at the same location. It's in Ottawa. Uh, PGCon is a conference for users and developers of um, Postgres, so Postgres just happens to be the world's uh, leading database, and it just happens to be open source. I've been using it for many years. Uh, I wrote the website FreshPorts using it, and that's how I oh, first that's got awesome. into it. Um, and the PGCon, uh, the Postgres community needed a conference, so I was approached and said, hey, listen, you're doing a good job with BSC, CAN. You want to run uh, uh Postgres You want to do conference? one for us? Yeah, and so I said, Sure. And now it, it's my favorite Postgres conference. Uh, the call for papers for that is also open and it closes in nine days. So if you're using Postgres, uh, go and submit a paper. And if you're not using Post, if you don't want to submit a paper, just come to the conference anyway. It's very similar in nature and field to uh, BSC Can, so you'll have a great time there.
0: Well, thank you very much for that update. Uh, those will both be two things I'm looking forward I know Postgres has always been uh, my go-to database mm. Any, anytime I need a
1: SQL database. It's solid.
0: All right, well then, uh, let's talk about our final sponsor, and that is Ting. Ting is mobile that makes sense. No, no BS mobile service. They've got CDMA, they've got GSM, and most of all, what's important is it's pay for what you use. It just starts with just $6 a line. Then you pay for what you use. Select how many minutes, how many messages, how much data. You know, some things. Maybe you're playing with SIP like I am or, or like uh, Noah has. And all you need is data. I know that's pretty cheap. And the great thing about Team, they make it super simple to figure that out. Go to the rates page right here and they've got this beautiful grid. I've used it pretty much all the time. Just click how many you need, fill in the buckets. Let's say you've got three lines, $6 each. That's only $18. There's no add-on charges for voicemail, caller ID, or tethering. Use it. Use your phone like you want. Is it your mobile workstation? Great. Is it the phone that you give to your grandma and contact when you need her? Even better. At $6 a line, that's something that you can afford. To tell Ting that you heard about them through us, go to techsnap.ting.com. Yeah, it's a great URL. techsnap.ting.com. We love Ting. They're my mobile service provider. There's Noah's mobile service provider. And they're Chris's mobile service provider. So they're just about the closest thing to an official JB mobile service provider, as could possibly exist. There's no early termination fees. You pay for what you use. It's mobile that just makes sense. Thank you for sponsoring, and visit techsnap.ting.com. All right, Dan, what's next in this rockin' roundup?
1: Well, we have a very small and interesting article where the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, is it Federal? Yeah, Federal Trade 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 Commission. Commission. The FTC in the U.S. are suing D-Link
0: uh-oh. What did D-Link I, do this time?
1: Well, apparently the uh, the FTC is kind of unhappy with the way that D-Link is not securing their devices. Um, the, uh, as outlined by the FTC, that includes guest login credentials allowing unauthorized access to D-Link cameras, command injection software that enables, oh, man. Remote, attack, <laughs> that enables remote attackers to take control of routers, and mishandling of a a private key code and leaving users' mobile login credentials unencrypted.
0: That sounds pretty bad.
1: (laughs) That's a lot of stuff. Um, Now, naturally, D-Link says, um, you know, working intensely and, and the company is fighting what it calls unwarranted and baseless charges made by the FTC... Me, I'm with the FTC on this one. Anything that um, they can do to start making manufacturers own up to the internet of things that they have been creating and do a better job of maintaining them and securing our devices, I'm behind them.
0: I completely agree. And it's kind of a shame, Like, uh, especially here, like uh, this article here showing like a rather fancy high-end D-Link router. It's a shame that we have done such a bad job in terms of public perception and that the market doesn't really dictate that they have to take securities sec- seriously, right? They can sell fancy things; they can make money doing that. So, really, it seems like a, the FTC pushing back, generating some press about this, is a good a good way to encourage users to have that be something that at least, you know, it won't be perfect, but at least a, a check mark that they're looking for when they go look to buy a new device.
1: Most people don't have don't have the time or the inclination to upgrade their devices. They they, they really don't. The, they're they're busy with families and and life and jobs and stuff like that. Things all of us are busy with. Exactly. But but they're 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 not concerned with upgrading these things. Not at all. They they have no interest. So let let's find a better solution.
0: Yeah. What do you think? Uh, is there anything that stands out to you as something that uh, people could do to to stay away? Is there a, a good list of devices people can can look for? I know we talk a lot about, like, you know, like if you're an Android phone, you should really do a, mm. a Google backed one so you get updates. Is there mm. anything like that in the router arena?
1: Well, there's all kinds of options for, for buying routers and stuff like that, but they, they get a bit complex and a bit beyond what the average user is, is going to be willing to put up with. Um, the majority of people are, are not technical enough to want to use one of these things. that They want something they can take home, install, and use and just have it working. Um, I, I don't have an answer at the moment.
0: Yeah, I feel you there. It's not a great situation. Uh, so hopefully we see more actions like this from the FTC and that uh, more manufacturers shape up. And uh, for our final story here, we've got something uh, just a little bit kind of amusing. Uh, what is it, Dan? Um,
1: well... There is a story on accidental orders which begat an accidental order. Uh, this is a, a
0: meta-order San- terrible problem.
1: Yeah. Well, a San Diego uh, TV station sparked complaints after an on-air report about a little girl who ordered dollhouse via her parents' Amazon Echo caused echoes in viewers' home to also attempt to order dollhouses. Wow, <laughs> I think this is wonderful. Um, so, yeah, break that down for us. Uh, uh, the Amazon Echo, if you're not familiar with it, is a device that s- sits in your house, and it's a it's an Internet of Things device. And you give it voice commands, and you preface those voice commands with the device's name. So. This will spark. What I'm about to say will spark a lot of action in people who happen to have an Amazon Echo around, but it'll be benign and won't cause any issues. So you can say, "Alexa, what time is it?" And anyone who has an Amazon Echo will now be hearing Alexa say the time. Um, now, the the Echo can respond to. I think, three or four different fixed names. You can't a- assign a random name, but you can choose one of those four names. And what this person did is it, 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 during, during the story is says, I love the little girl saying, order me a dollhouse. And everyone that was listening to that show got ordered a dollhouse. <laughs> so you can do other things as well. If you've got an iPhone, you can say, hey, Siri, what time is it? It's 7.21 p.m. Good evening, Dan. Oh, isn't that so, nice? Um, or, hey, Cortana, what time is it? Uh, I don't know what the Google name is. I don't know how to do that one. Uh, but okay I'm sure Google. someone... Uh, it, hey, Google? Uh, okay, hey, Google. Google. Okay, Google? There you go. Perfect. What time is it?
0: And they will so, respond in, in kind.
1: Yeah. So... I, I apologize to everyone whose devices I just triggered, but um, I'm sure that something's going to come of this eventually. Uh, I'm sure that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if people start embedding this into audio. I know I've seen my Alexa act up when um, when there's been ads on TV or, or TV shows that even just use the name.
0: I wonder but. if there's any way to exploit a uh, you know, um, rain kind of vocal ranges outside of human hearing or on the edges or, uh, you know, how close, if they can figure out ways to trigger Alexa uh, without making it obvious to humans as well.
1: I just heard one. I just heard someone's Alexa quiet down. Um, I don't know. Uh, I I, I think the easiest way to avoid this is to call your Amazon Echo by something other than Alexa.
0: Right. Yeah, that seems... That seems... So... When you got this, have you had any security concerns, operational concerns, or otherwise, using these devices in your own home?
1: I have all of these devices on their own VLAN. Uh, They can't access the rest of my uh, networks. Um, They get upgraded automatically, um, and that's about it. Uh, I have disabled automated purchase.
0: Oh, that seems like a pretty uh, good idea, unless you actually use it.
1: Uh, no, I don't. I, I order online. I don't use Amazon. It's AM. convenient enough. I don't enough. use the Echo Yep.
0: Awesome. Well, that is a kind of a nightmare, and also a funny reminder of the complex world that we are living in today.
1: It's astounding.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I wonder how Amazon.
1: I wonder how Amazon canceled those orders.
0: Yeah, hopefully they're usually pretty good at that. But hopefully there was a, a good faith, or if you can. Uh, remember to go have it canceled really fast right after. Well, thank you very much for explaining that to us, Dan. I think uh, now we've come to the end of this episode. This has been TechSnap episode 302, live streamed to you on January 10th, 2017. If you'd like to see more of TechSnap or any of the other fine Jupiter Broadcasting programs, go over to www.jupiterbroadcasting.com. Or if you'd like to get more of myself or Dan, find us on Twitter. Dan is at TechSnap underscore Dan, and I am at Wes Payne. Thank you very much for joining me, Dan, and have a wonderful week.
1: Goodbye, everyone. Thank you, chat room. Bye, guys. Appreciate it.